Hollywood and Beyond podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Hi, this is Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. I am your host. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode number two of season two here on the show. Today, I have a special guest, screenwriter and director, Anderson Cowan, who is here to discuss his new film, which is now released in selected theaters, Groupers. Tell me, Dylan, do you know what a hate crime is? Of course I do. And now you're doing this to us. So this is a hate, hate crime crime. Your hate, hate crime, criming us. That checks out. That actually works. This is a hate, hate crime crime because you hate, hate crimes, and this is a crime. Totally. You done? I was going to start this episode describing the film to you, the listener, before actually starting the interview. On episode one, actress Nicole Dambro visited me to also discuss groupers and her leading role in the film. She gave such a, a definitive and detailed description of the film that I decided to go ahead and let Nicole give you, the listeners, a description of groupers. Here she is. Actress Nicole Dambro of Groupers here on Hollywood and Beyond. I thought I would give you the opportunity to perhaps describe it in your own words. If someone were to say, Nicole, how would you best describe Groupers to me? What would you say to that person? Groupers is a dark comedy that explores the themes of group mentality and groupthink all surrounding the question, is homosexuality a choice? So it starts off as a really sadistic kidnapping plot. And then as the movie unfolds, you see that it's actually about all these different people, the way that they interact with each other and what they have to say on the subject. I do have to be clear because a lot of people... Um, are drawing their own conclusions. And we encourage you to think for yourself on this, but the message very clearly from the movies, in our opinion, is that homosexuality is not a choice, that you're born that way. Um, So when people are bullied 
or people are assaulted because of their sexuality. You know, that's not something that they change or control and it's really wrong and it's something in our society that we need to have a discussion about. That is an excellent description. Thank you so much. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host, actor, and writer, Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to the second episode here on Season 2 of Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. First of all, thank you so much for all of your support. I really, really appreciate it. It means uh, a great deal to me. And I'm so thankful, I must say, for all of the wonderful and amazing and talented folks who visited me here on Hollywood and Beyond during Season 1. Thank you goes out to those guests as well. Well, I can't wait for Season 2, and how thrilling for me that the first two episodes have a connection to the same project, the same film, Groupers. And as all of you just heard during the opening segment, I described the storyline of groupers, as well as some additional information. So I'm very excited to have the director and the screenwriter. So if anybody knows about this film, it is my guest today. And he is Anderson Cowan, and I'm very honored and excited to welcome him to the show. I should say that Anderson received an award over at the Film Invasion LA Festival, the film festival, and he won Best Director for his efforts. Well-deserved. Anderson, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, sir. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. I'm a little offended that I'm on uh, episode two rather than one, but I, I understand you wanted to have uh, the, uh, the good-looking one on first, so I get that. <laughs> I, I appreciate you being understanding about that. I think you just nailed it on the head right there. <laughs> It, it 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 did win an award, which is uh, fantastic, and uh, it, 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 the film itself actually won the whole festival, which is which is even better. Because this is, as you know, as an artist, I mean, it's always just like, oh, is everyone going to hate this? Does everyone going to see the mistakes that I that I see? So it's really nice to have people uh, say, no, no, it's good. I like to hear that. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and congratulations to you. I viewed the film actually last night, and uh, I've been thinking about it a great deal since. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about uh, the storyline, the acting. I also really enjoyed how you set up a lot of the scenes. And I'm very intrigued that you are the person that wrote the script, because um, not only can I ask you about the making of the film, I can also ask you about, you know, how did you come up with the idea, the storyline, which is a very unique storyline for grouper. So I'd like to start right there. How did that actually happen for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it all started with the most absurd point uh, of the entire movie, probably, which is the Chinese finger trap without giving anything away. But uh, the movie is kind of centered around a Chinese finger trap. Uh, and I was just talking to a couple friends of mine a few years ago about Chinese finger traps. And I said, where'd they all go? I haven't seen one since I've been an adult. Uh, remember, we used to play with them when we were kids all the time. Where'd they go? And my one friend said, oh, I got a great torture device. If you use them, I'm not going to get into details, but he talked about something fairly sophomoric and, and, and inappropriate, and I thought it was ridiculous. But then uh, I said, well, what <laughs> if the two, the two people that are going to be tortured with this Chinese finger trap with their nether regions, what if they were homophobic and the only way they could get out is to be attracted to one another? Uh, 
going back because I've talked to a number of people. It's shocking, but there's so many people that I've, I've come in contact with that really believe that homosexuality is a choice, which has always been mind boggling to me. So I thought, hey, I could I could really play with that idea with this absurd idea with the Chinese finger trap. And it all kind of went from there. I, I, I went home that night, started writing it and, and I set out to figure out how to get these two homophobes in this particular situation. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. You throw it into the, uh, you know, the bowl and you, you've got your ingredients for, for a film. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> lot of ingredients. A lot of ingredients going to making a movie. As I'm sure you know, you spend time on sets and you get it. Absolutely. A lot uh, the preparation before you even start filming. I mean, there's just so much that has to be done. Well, that explains how you got the idea uh, or inspiration to write the uh, script. I'm very curious. Um how long did it take you to actually write the script? This uh I've written a number of scripts and this one took longer than all the rest. And I know exactly why it's because uh, I realized uh, fairly, probably by the time I was done writing act one, that uh, I was going to be able to make this for not a lot of money. I wasn't purposely writing it cheap, but the way that the story was unfolding, it was just a cheap story. I, I could tell it mostly in one location and then I have a whole lot of actors, no like, major effects or anything. So I realized that I could probably raise the money needed to, to make this. And once I realized that, I started thinking, overthinking everything, getting uh, precious with everything. And it became a whole different animal as opposed to like when I just write stuff just to write stuff. And I know that, you know, it's kind of a pipe dream that I just like when anyone's writing pretty much, they, they realize that the chances of it ever being produced are slim. So I, I would just let myself write. But with this one, once I realized, my God, I can actually produce this thing. Um, it, I, I got in my head a little. So long story short, um, to, to answer the question, it took me about three to four months, whereas usually a, a script will take me about six weeks to write. But I really, uh, I, I got, I got, I got in my head. I didn't have writer's block. I just wanted to make sure everything I got, I overthought everything. And then I was freed up finally and I let myself go. And then I, and I, and I finished it. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. I would love to get your reaction to something I brought up to Nicole, and uh, she thought it was very interesting that I that I kind of uh, had this kind of perspective, and that is uh, a good portion of your film. Uh, I should say, well, actually, throughout the entire film, but it was kind of kicking in after the first 15 or 20 minutes like you know wow these characters are kind of just right here for the most part like you have have them centered in one location and i started thinking from an actor standpoint how exciting and challenging that would be because it's it made me think of acting classes where a teacher would go okay you two guys go over here okay uh, you the lady go over here and here's the situation i'll go at it i mean that's what it felt like to me so it felt very natural the way they interacted with each other uh, I, and she thought that was a um a spot-on um you know assertion on my part about those moments yeah and it was challenging too coming up with the blocking and exactly what happens in this pool that could keep you know the interests of the viewer uh, because two of the three characters that I have in the pool for like the first 40 minutes of the movie uh, are bound to one another. They can't even move. So there is really no direction I can give them other than, you know, ride around in your, in your restraints right now and, you know, act angry, but I couldn't have them like get up or, or do anything physical. Um, Nicole who plays Meg. I could have her kind of move around and we had fun with that, but 
yeah, one of the main challenges was making sure that I wasn't going to lose the audience to boredom. And uh, even the critics who are, are being hard on it and they're not quite picking up what I was putting down, they're all saying that they're never bored. So at least uh, even the people don't that don't like it, uh, they're not bored. So there's that. And that's always good. <laughs> uh, yes, very intriguing. I, I mean, I definitely didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't want to stop watching. I wanted to get it all done. And I, I was really um, enjoying, again, like I said earlier, the way that you set up scenes with with the shots and uh, all of that was fantastic. But those ropes, okay, I was thinking, uh, how long did that take for you to, like, get all mapped out and, and hooked up properly to the two gentlemen in the scene? That didn't take nearly as long as I was afraid it would, actually. I had a great production okay. designer named Sage, and she, uh, you know, I, I drew out some sketches of what I wanted. I, I told her the colors of the ropes. I wanted to have a nice, colorful set with the graffiti and the, and the ropes, and uh, that wasn't too tough. There, There is a spot later in the movie where some of the restraints come undone, and that actually took quite some time because I'm not – I actually um, <laughs> ended up watching a lot of YouTube videos on various knots and, and nautical – knots and i and i kind of learned different uh, tricks but uh as far as the actual and they're they're functioning ropes like i put myself in the restraints just to you know show solidarity with the actors and it, it wasn't comfortable being in that position at all oh i can imagine she had said that the two gentlemen uh, basically lost feeling in their legs which is ironic because that's how the characters <laughs> were were uh, also dealing with they, they were dealing with that that they their legs, they couldn't move them. Yeah, there's actually lines in the in the script that say, hey, what have you done to my legs? I can't feel my legs. And uh, at times that actually did happen. To them. I tried <laughs> to be as kind as I possibly could be. I tried to uh, cheat right. for them with the camera. And, I, you know, I gave them apple boxes to sit on, which are just, you know, blocks of wood uh, just to, to help them out. And then one of the actors uh, got sick halfway through our 14-day shoot. Uh, we pretty much did a two-and-a-half-week shoot, and he was sick for the second half of it, which... Made me feel bad, but I mean, what can you do? We can't shut down production just because you got right. sniffles. So he was uncomfortable, but he, his character was supposed to be uncomfortable, so it worked out. There you go. Absolutely. The show must go on, as they say. Well, now, right. you uh, no doubt are very hands-on with this project, having both written and directed it. Uh, what about the casting process? I mean, I can just I can just picture you like really excited about the casting process for your characters. Yeah, casting is always a lot of fun because that's when things start to actually happen. And you, you I've made a lot of shorts before uh, this feature. So I've been through the casting process with those. And, you know, you can write whatever you want and, and have an idea of who that person is in your head. Like when you're re reading a book, right? Like you, you figure out what they look like uh, just from the brief descriptions and whatnot. But once you actually cast somebody, it becomes a whole different ballgame. And the character immediately morphs into something different. Not always better, not always worse. But um, the casting process is one of the most important parts. I've, I've heard people suggest that it's like 90% of any project, which I, I can see that being the case. And um, it, it just, like everything else with the, the filmmaking process, it's just a lot of work. It's arduous. And uh, I looked at literally thousands and thousands of headshots and resumes and video clips uh, before, you know, inviting uh, a handful of people in for, for auditions. Like, I probably auditioned 50 different girls to play Meg out of the maybe 5,000 submissions that I got. Yeah, a lot of people want to be actors. A lot. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's uh, 
there's many options for you to choose from. That this is true. Yes. I have to say that um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you you certainly made the the best choices. Um, all of the people involved really bring something, you know, extra to their roles or something that says, "Hey, you know, you know what? I'm kind of a I'm kind of the right person to play this part." If you know what I mean, and you know, like, and, and you yeah. can tell when that's done right. Yeah, I got lucky with a really giving cast, too, because I was able to pay them a small amount, not much, but I was able to pay them for their work on set. But I didn't have a budget to pay them for any kind of rehearsals. And all of them gave me hours and hours and hours of rehearsals so that, uh, you know, we can make the best product we could possibly make. Uh, And I I learned early on that of my uh, nine people that I cast, uh, they were all completely into the project and they believed in it and they wanted it to come out as, as good as it possibly could come out. So. I, I got real fortunate there because I've heard horror stories of first time directors, you know, dealing with actors uh, who've been around the block who uh, just say, you know, I'll, I'll do this for my, my reel or whatever, but I don't really dig what you're, you're making here, but I'm just going to show up. And I didn't get any of that with my, with my cast. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, when people can come together to, to uh, uh, put together an artistic project and it's not all based on, on money, um, uh, you know, you know, that's, to me, that's just a, a beautiful thing. Uh, well, you know, uh, with the subject matter at hand, right? So uh, very important, very uh, much something that uh, still needs to be discussed. And uh, no, no question about that whatsoever. It's interesting, though, because one has to kind of keep in mind, or it really occurred to me as I went along viewing your film, that this is, I mean, despite the subject matter, it's also a dark comedy. So I think if you're not careful with how you approach viewing this film, you may not get what you intended. And, um, you know, with all, with so many humorous moments and, and then you add in some intense moments with people's personalities and personal issues that they have, the characters. You know, it's a very fascinating little, uh, uh, reality of realm that you created for this film. Wow, thank you very much, Stephen. That's very kind of you. Yeah, uh, I've been wanting to, you know, make films for many, many years now. And uh, once I finally got a project, like I said, that was, um, I hate to use the word cheap because it's kind of a pejorative, but, uh, you know, something affordable enough that I could actually make, I, I really wanted to swing, see how, because how, directing is such a funny thing. It's, it's not like you can go out and, you know, play catch with your dad and learn to direct. You know, it's it's, you get so little... Um, opportunity to actually put your your skills to the test, and uh, I I wasn't shy from taking some real chances with this one because I I knew the reality this, this might be the only film I ever get to make, and I wanted to see what I was capable of. And uh, the tonal shifts is one of the hardest things to do when directing a film. I, I've heard that uh, direction be defined as tone management, and uh, that was definitely a, a challenge with groupers because yes, we we are. Um, treading on some some pretty sacred ground with uh, some of our discussions and some of the things that I'm examining and taking a look at, um, but I I I leaned heavily on um, the gay community and my friends and uh, people that were working on the film that uh, identify as gay just to make sure that I wasn't going to misstep anywhere uh, and, and offend the wrong people. I'm looking to offend some people with this movie. I mean, I think you can tell that by by watching it, but I didn't want to offend. Uh, obviously, the gay community, because that's not my aim here. 
Well, I really commend you for that and respect you for that. And, and I never walked away, if it means anything to you, Anderson, I never walked away uh, feeling anything different than what you just described. Great. Yes, yes. Because there was, there was room for this movie to have the um, victim who was at the center of the film be a sympathetic victim. And I did not go that route because I, you know, there's many drafts of the script, every script you write, you're a writer, you know, writing is rewriting. And there's many different drafts. And I tried a bunch of different things with the different storylines and characters. And uh, as soon as I made that character sympathetic, the movie became preachy and heavy handed. And I never wanted it to be preachy or heavy handed. I, I wanted to, uh, it, I wanted it to say something. I wanted it to have a lasting effect after people see it. I want I want uh, people to walk away from it thinking, oh, yeah, if I see somebody who's being homophobic to a gay person, there's a good chance that person who's being homophobic might be closeted gay themselves and they just can't be true to themselves. That was the message I wanted to go after. Um, and I, 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 I think I achieved it. I think I think most people are understanding that part of it anyways. Anderson, I'm glad you brought up all that you just did. And I really enjoyed listening to your explanations. Thank you. And that is this, is that I'm sitting there going, you know what? Um, You could have made certain characters more sympathetic. And then the more I watched the film, I was fascinated by the decision you made, or at least the way that I took it, that many of these characters weren't really on the sympathetic side. Um, and I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. It's just um, their attitudes, their uh, the way they deal with other people. Uh, it, it, I found that kind of fascinating because I assumed that there was going to be one or two really sympathetic characters, especially especially the character um that is in question um and 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 you kind of made him a little bit eccentric or a little bit uh unique in his own way so very very interesting yeah everyone seems to think that they're perfect today uh in today's culture it's it's very off-putting to me to see all these pious people like you know pointing fingers and calling everybody out and, and really another aim. I had a, no, a number of aims even with, with this project, but sure. one of the main over, overreaching aims that I was going after is that, you know, everyone is flawed and, and the, the, the antagonists in this movie, the two homophobes, even they have some humanity in them and, and there is some good in them and there's some bad in them. And, and I, I wanted to show a bunch of flawed people that all had some kind of upside for the most part. And, uh, the title groupers that that's, it's, it's talking about group mentality. I'm talking about group mentality there. I'm talking about group thinking and how we all just surround ourselves with other like-minded people to embolden our own beliefs. And then we feel like we're right. And we're in a, we're in a crazy time right now where everyone is hundred percent sure they're right. And that's mathematically impossible, but everyone is so sure that they're right. And a lot of that I think comes from just, you know, putting you in yourself in like in an echo chamber and just, you know, hearing your own opinion repeated by those around you. And, uh, it, it ends up getting ugly. And when the, when, when those two different clashing, uh, ideologies are, are put in a very small space, like they are in groupers, um, that's, the, that's the outcome, at least the way that I wrote it. Uh, I could have gotten real violent and torture porny, but I didn't want to do that with this at all. 
Well, I really appreciate uh, your perspective and for sharing that. Uh, very interesting, very fascinating to me. Uh, that that really sums up so much. Uh, I, I have to agree with you. Um, we are living in a very interesting time, as far as um, you know, like you just described, where you know people take the approach that we're all perfect, or or that you should be. You know, that you and I should be. And boy, I'll tell you what, even with your best efforts, you're going to have an off day. You're going to ha- make mistakes. You know, to me, it's always about, are you trying? Are you, are you sincere with your efforts? I think that's what's more important. Yeah. Self, don't really spend much time on the social media for my own mental health because I'm, I'm a pretty fragile little guy when it comes right down to it. I have a pretty <laughs> exterior, but uh, I'm like, like the reviews of groupers, I always told myself whenever I made a feature film, I wouldn't even look at the reviews, which was just, I'm not being honest with myself at all. Now here we are and the movie's about to be released. I've got about 10 reviews in and it's funny. Five of the reviews are like absolutely loving the movie saying it's like one of their favorite movies of the year. They can see it's going to be a cold classic for sure. They love this movie. And the other five are like, this is awful. Don't waste your time. Even looking at, at the poster. And it's, it's, it affects you, you know, you can't help but be affected. But at the same time, I'd much rather have a polarizing movie that people are reacting strongly to one way or the other than um, just kind of going, yeah, it was okay. I don't, you know, it's kind of bored at times, but I, I didn't want to make that. And once again, I feel like I achieved that. So, but yeah, back to the uh, fragility of, I think we're all fairly fragile and we're almost in a place now with technology where we can hear other people's thoughts because everyone puts their thoughts out there. And, uh, yeah, you, you better be, uh, if you're going to do anything, put anything out there and be in the public vortex at all, you better be, you better have somewhat of a thick skin. Well, that is completely true. I got a two year old and I'm really worried about, I'm hoping that the new generation, um, kind of goes against the grain and kind of gives up on some of this oversharing and, and, uh, social media stuff. Cause you know, that's the, the pendulum swings one way and then the other. I'm hoping that he doesn't go through what kids are going through right now. Cause I can't imagine going through school and having, you know, my peers, um, talking about me on social media. Uh, I just can't imagine what that's like. And a lot of kids are dealing with that every day. That is something to be concerned about. It really is. Because if you put, you know, as an adult, put yourself in their shoes, you can kind of go, wow, you know what? I didn't have to deal with people posting stuff or making comments about me that everybody can read. And even people that don't know me can read. I mean, and you know what? If someone's saying not nice things about you, uh, you know, it it, it can be very hard at any age, but especially for a young person, uh, uh, that could be very overwhelming. Remember, remember, like in uh, school, like in the olden days, where like people would pass notes and stuff. And sometimes yes. those notes were kind of mean. And like the yes. teacher, like once in a blue moon, the teacher would actually catch yes. the kids. Yes. And then I had, I had uh, the the foolish teacher who would do this. He would catch the, the the note about once a month, and then he would read the note in class in front of everyone. <laughs> and sometimes those notes oh. were like kind of mean about some other kid that's in the classroom, and the kid was humiliated. And I remember thinking that that's just like scarring forever. But that's kind of like the everyday norm now. It's, it's, it's not the teacher reading the note, but it's kids writing the notes that are public and everyone's reading them and seeing them. And uh, it, it was such a rarity back in our day, but, but that's just the norm now. I was there. Like I tell people, I grew up in the 80s, so I was there, got to experience that. 
<laughs> and let me tell you, if the note was also very romantic, uh, that could be extremely embarrassing if the teacher read it out loud. I just mm-hmm. want I just want to throw that in there right away. Well, um, you know, let me ask you. I'm very interested in in, in your answer. So sometimes, as uh, when a film like yours that to me is unique, and like you said, people will be talking about this uh, when they see it. Uh, chances are, uh, but what about a couple years from now? Do you think this is the kind of film that could possibly grow into somewhat of a cult following, or is that the kind of stuff you don't really like weigh yourself down with? I try not to weigh myself down with that. Uh, I, I did when I wrote this. Uh, I did one of the number one things you shouldn't do, which is write it primarily for myself. I wasn't thinking of an audience. Uh, I was thinking of me <laughs> because I watch movies <laughs> for a living. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be supporting myself right now on a couple um, shows that I do um, uh, about movies. Uh, the well, film vault one of them and cinem- cinematics is another where I just, I essentially watch movies, rank movies, review movies. Uh, my main motivation in those shows is to find small little gems that, uh, you know, big studios didn't put out. Uh, that, so you might not have heard of it because uh, there's so many movies out there, so much noise. I try and find the, the diamonds in the rough, the small little movies and, and share them with my audience. That's like my favorite. That's my motivation for doing uh, what I do. And I try to create one of those, uh, thinking that, like, you know, if I were to see my own movie in a vacuum, somehow I cleared my mind and didn't realize that I made this movie, would I like it? And I think I would really, really like my own <laughs> little movie. And when it, I, I'd be very excited to share it with, um, with my audience. So that was my motivation. Will I, would I respond to this movie? Would I like this movie, which you're not supposed to do as a writer. You're supposed to have a targeted audience in mind. And, uh, if you have a niche audience with a hook, uh, with a hook, with your story, the, that's, that's even better. But, um, I, I didn't do that. Uh, and I think I might've gotten away with it just cause I watched so many movies. I, I knew I didn't want to make something that was derivative of like, you know, big Hollywood pieces. Uh, I didn't want to try and make seem like I was trying to be something that I that that I wasn't with this movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I now that being said, since uh, it's been done, um, yeah, I have heard some rumblings of you know a, a possible cult uh, following and, and that kind of thing. Just because it is so out there and it is so its own thing, uh, I'd be obviously over the moon if uh, if it became a, a bit of a minor cult success for sure. And I think that's gonna take luck like i need like john waters to see this movie and you know talk about it publicly somewhere i need something like that to happen sure but sure. yeah I, I would love it i'd love it obviously <laughs> well you never know you never know my friend like nine thousand feature films made every year and, and you know about four or five hundred of those get you know any kind of theatrical release so it's just if, even if there's only 500 movies made every year that's it, just there's so many movies out there. So it's just such a struggle to get people to look at your movie. If you don't have, you know, Bradley Cooper, uh, in it, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's a struggle. Uh, but that's another reason why I wrote it as loud and as obnoxiously as I did, because I was hoping that people would see it and then want to talk about it. I, I, I think it's one of those movies where you want to talk to other people about the, uh, the absurdity that you just saw. Well, and you know what's interesting? Um, I can relate to so much that you are saying because when I created the show, one thing I wanted to do was have variety. Uh, uh, not only actors, but directors like yourself and screenwriters like yourself. I've had producers, singers, musicians. Um, you know, that's kind of what the Beyond in my title stands for. And I'm proud that I can promote independent films just as much as the big boys, so to speak. 
Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there's some really good... I don't have to say this to your audience. And it's, some of the best films are little, the little independent movies that, you know, people made with a singular vision. Uh, once you go up the, the food chain and, you, and you're watching these big studio pieces, of course, there's some great ones. But uh, a lot of the time, you know, it's dumbed down and uh, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and producers have a say, actors with a lot of clout are, are going to start having a say in, in how, you know, things develop and certain plot points and whatnot. And you're not really sure what you're watching. You're kind of watching a, like a Mod Podge. Hodgepodge? Hodgepodge. Hodgepodge of ideas. And <laughs> uh, that's, that's why I really like those, uh, those, those independent movies. But that being said, there is a lot of uh, very hard to get through independent movies out there as well. Um, my approach is if I see a small little movie that isn't doing it for me, I either stop watching it or I finish it, but I don't talk about it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't go out of my way to find a small movie to talk badly about. But if you're a $150 million budget a movie and you didn't do it for me, I have no qualms with, um, you know, critiquing that. Sure. And, and you appear to be a man of many hats, which I can relate to as well because of not only hosting the show, but acting and writing. And, and sometimes I think about directing. I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to share that with you. Um, because I, I watch like a, you know, movies and I think, you know, wouldn't it be just so exciting to, 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 to put life on film and have a vision and, and, and do what you do? But I'm curious. Have you had a background in acting yourself? Like, have you done any plays or done anything to experience acting? I, you know, I took a, a class in, in college, like one semester. Uh, I, I learned pretty quickly that I was way too in my own head. Uh, you know, I could have possibly done some practice and, and worked on that a little bit uh, more. But I, I wanted to have the fundamentals down just because I knew I wanted to direct. But uh, I also knew that acting was just not for, for me. Um, I see. But, you know, it, it's funny, directing, a lot of it is just, you know, dealing with people, really, when it comes down to it. It's, it's knowing what you want, knowing how to communicate that to, that to people, and um, just, you know, not really saying let's move on until you get the, what, you, what you're looking for. And you have to know what you're looking for. That's the main thing. And you have to be able to communicate. Uh, so uh, communication is... is the main thing with 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 acting uh, and knowing what you want i mean with directing and i have to tell you that um nicole uh, had a lot of uh, wonderful things to say about you as a director and her experience oh, working sweet. on the film <laughs> that's nice you know i was it, a, 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 a i was a, a cabin counselor for over 20 years a, uh -huh. a volunteer counselor up at a camp with uh, teenage kids primarily. And I, I think I learned a lot of directing just from, you know, being a cabin counselor. Like you, I, I thought earlier in the interview about how hard it is to practice actual directing, like onset directing. But uh, I think everyday life experiences um, are really just as like, uh, I, I, I think you can learn it from just living life. Uh, if you're, if you're thinking about directing along the way as well, you know, I hope that makes makes sense. Um, Absolutely. My two year old had me, my two year old had me up quite a bit last night, so I'm on very little sleep right now. Oh, you sound crisp and sharp to me, and and, and you do, you. I mean, I'm really enjoying this conversation, and I, I'm I'm very uh, pleased with myself that I, I I chose your film to be represented in the first two episodes. So I, <laughs> I think that's very exciting, and, and I'm pleased well, with you too, Stephen. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm very curious. So this might be from me thinking from an actor's point of view. 
But I'd like to ask you, the director, uh, and w- when it comes to casting. So did you have any folks show up, uh, I- any guys show up, so to speak, that maybe thought they were going to give this a try, but then suddenly you could tell? Or did they just tell you that, you know what, this type of role is not for me? Well, I was real careful in the uh, casting process not to let them know what the role entailed. So I see. Um, I don't know how deep you go with, with your, your shows and, and the, the lingo, but we have something called sides uh, that we give actors who are auditioning for, for roles, which are just like two to five pages from a script. And I was real careful not to give them any of the meaty stuff so that they didn't know what they're getting into. Um, but yeah, casting, I love casting. I talked about that earlier. Uh, it's a funny thing because a lot of times people walk in the room and before they even start to talk, you just, you know, from their, their gait and, and just their presence that they're not, what you're looking for they might be great for another role but not the role that you're looking to cast and uh other times people walk in the door before they even speak a word you're like i think that's my guy i think that's my girl you know yeah so once i did land on the two uh boys that was the 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 two parts that i was most concerned about because i have them in very compromising positions for much of the film as you know since you've seen it uh and I, I called them both up and I said, good news, bad news. Good news is I want to give you the part. It's a feature film and you'll have lead roles. Uh, bad news is here's what it entails. Uh, so I don't want you to give me a yes or no answer right now. I want you to talk to your families. I want you to talk to your parents and let them know that, you know, you're, you're thinking about doing this. And I want to make sure that you're comfortable with it and your family is comfortable with it because uh, it is uh, a little bit out there. And um, they both, took it in stride and got back to me almost immediately and said, yeah, let's, let's do this. We're fine. Well, that's fantastic. I think you handled it extremely well under the circumstances, but it, because again, this is sensitive, uh, uh, material we're, we're talking about. And, um, you know, sometimes acting does involve bravery and, and being courageous and, and so does directing and writing. Um, because maybe you're not a hundred percent comfortable with the situation, but um, that's kind of like the fun of the challenge, I, I think. So um, uh, they both did a great job, too. Uh, well, let me see. This film has been released in selected theaters, I believe. Is there um, any website or social media page for your movie that folks could go visit if they want to learn more about Groupers? Yeah, groupersthemovie.com um, has uh, the teaser up there as well as the first, I think, three and a half, four minutes of the movie just uncut. I put the cold open oh, up wow. there because the movie opens with a cold open. Uh, so, you know, as some action takes place, I have a, a, a one-take long shot that uh, goes through a bar and out the back where, where she first abducts the boys. That takes place, uh, it takes about two and a half minutes. And then uh, we see how she abducts them. And then, and then the title comes up. And I have that entire opening sequence available for viewing on groupersmovie.com. It'll give you an idea of what we've been talking about here. And it also has the screenings there. And uh, as things progress uh, with a platform release like Amazon and iTunes and all that, which should be by um, before the holidays, should be available for rent on those um, platforms. That will be updated on groupersmovie.com. And then we're also on Facebook and, and whatnot. Well, very exciting, and I'll be sure to share information at the appropriate time on the Hollywood and Beyond social media pages, where I highlight really guests. Really appreciate it, and, Oh, it's, it's my pleasure, and um, so, you know, one great thing about being on my show is I love to keep promoting people long after they're gone, so um, I'm excited to, to continue to uh, get the word out about groupers and, and share Thank my two cents about it. You're most welcome. One, 
one final little anecdote that you might appreciate. Yes, please. Um, talking about courage, and you know, I always cringe a little bit because I think of courage of people putting themselves like you know in real peril and, and danger, yes. and, you know, people in the military and whatnot. But yes, all of this is very uncomfortable uh, along many steps. It's, and you really have to have some guts to actually do something like this. That's one of the reasons why it took me so long to actually pull the trigger and make something. Uh, and, and, you know, present it to the public because like, like I was talking about earlier with, you know, being thin skinned and not liking to read, uh, critics, uh, saying things and that, this and that, but also working with actors, taking control of a set is uncomfortable. It shouldn't come naturally to you unless you're like some kind of a sociopath or you have a lot of experience with it. But one of my, um, my things that I was hesitant about or, or second guessing myself about was the fact that, uh, I'm not, gay and i was telling this story that involved so much uh so much storyline was about homophobia homosexuality closeted homosexuality and along the way i was going am i am i stepping into an arena that i don't have a right to be speaking about and i i did have these questions and i and i was a bit concerned about it until i think it was the second day of shooting i had the two uh young men who i cast uh, as the homophobes who are strung together and they have to be looking at their scenes where I'm directing them and I'm, I'm telling them to look into each other's eyes lovingly and try and be attracted to each other. And I'm sitting up at the top of the pool because they're in the bottom of an empty pool and I'm, and I'm directing them from up there. And it occurred to me at that moment, thank God I'm not gay because I'm like a 40-year-old man and these are like young, attractive boys and I'm having them do very uncomfortable things and I would feel so gross if like i was i was a gay man like looking at these kids telling them to do things so it was at that moment that i'm like oh yeah it it works <laughs> I, I feel like a, like a creep i feel like a total creep if, uh, if i if i was gay <laughs> i hear you very understandable very understandable <laughs> Well, I have to tell you that I had a fantastic time. Uh, I'll tell you what, you're the kind of director I, I would really uh, most likely enjoy uh, working for. Uh, oh. I can tell that you're a very passionate guy. Uh, I, I can just uh, see you giving it everything you have, which I certainly admire. I certainly hope you will have another film project around the corner. Is there anything in the works for you? Oh, great question. I love this question because, yes, I wrote groupers because I have other scripts that I want to make. <laughs> and it turns out that uh, my sensibilities are kind of along the comeuppance lines. I love a good comeuppance in a movie. I love a movie where you really dislike certain characters and you want to watch them get, whether it be humiliated or physically damaged uh, in some way or another. So groupers is the first in my comeuppance trilogy that I'm hoping to make a reality. Okay. So uh, I targeted, I targeted homophobes in, in groupers. Uh, the okay. next one that I I've, I've already written and it's, it's a bigger production. It's going to cost minimum a million dollars. So that's my next, that's oh. my next project is to raise wow. the money for that, which is not an easy thing to do, but that, uh, movie, uh, I'm, uh, targeting, uh, pedophiles, but the come up okay. and comes at the pedophile. That's called Battle at Skunk Skull, and I wrote that one a, a few years ago now. It's got a, a summer camp backdrop, which I, I have a lot of experience with. And then my third and final uh, movie in this trilogy, uh, Come Up In's trilogy, is about big game hunters, like the uh, the guys that go yes. over to Africa and pay a couple hundred thousand dollars to, to shoot a baby hippo. Like I, I, yeah. I have a, a script where those guys get their comeuppance, and I really hope I get to make these movies because uh, I love to watch I do characters I dislike have bad yes. things happen to them. It's a lot of fun. Satisfying. Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, hey, you have an advanced invitation to come back and talk about those projects. Just so you Great. Know. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's it been a, a true pleasure. 
Uh, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for all the support. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that you were uh, continuing to think about the movie after it's over. I, 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 there's nothing worse than walking out of a theater and you're like, what? I don't even remember what I just saw because I tuned out. So I'm glad that you're still thinking about it. That's great. I sure am. And thank you again. And I want to thank all the listeners out there. Thank you for listening. And if you are listening, then that means you are a friend. Well, this is Stephen Brittingham coming from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'll catch you on the next episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. and Beyond podcast created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.